Manchester's Student Radio. Views Hello and welcome to Elementary on Fuse FM, probably Manchester's best student-run science-themed radio show. I'm Fergus. I'm Karis. I'm Joe. And today... My mic just fell off. Did you see that? (laughs) Well, (laughs) we carry on anyway. Uh, Today we are talking about two elements. We've got a double bill for you today. Cramming two elements into one show. We're going to be talking about fluorine in the first half of the show. So, fluorine. It's chemical element with the symbol F, nice and easy, and atomic number nine. It's the lightest halogen. These are a group of reactive elements in the second to last column of the periodic table. It exists as a highly toxic pale yellow diatomic gas. So diatomic means two atoms. So in its standard form, it's a gas with two fluorine atoms bonded together. Uh, so F2, uh, standard room temperatures and pressures. It's the most electronegative element. This is a measure of how much an atom wants electrons. So fluorine really, really, really wants an extra electron. It's not very stable as an atom on its own. It really wants an extra one. So it's very, very active trying to get that extra electron. It reacts with almost every other element. The only two it doesn't react with is helium and neon, which are two of the unreactive noble gases which sit in the next column along at the very end of the periodic table. Fluorite, which is also called fluorospar, is the mineral form of calcium fluoride. Uh, so that's calcium bonded to two fluorine atoms. And this was the this is the primary mineral source of fluorine. This compound gave the element its name. So fluorite was found before fluorine as an element in its own right. That compound fluorite was first described in 1529. It was added to metal ores to lower their melting points so that they could be smelted. So the name comes from the Latin verb fluo, meaning flow, because it lowered the melting points of things so that they would flow better. Fluorine on its own was proposed as an element in 1810, but it proved very difficult and dangerous to separate from its compounds because it's so reactive, and several early experimenters died or sustained injuries from their attempts to to separate it, but they did manage eventually. Um, One use of not fluorine itself but fluoride which is an the ionic form of fluorine so fluorine when it's managed to gain an extra electron from somewhere it becomes fluoride and one use of fluoride is in toothpaste i think i'm right in yes. Yes, i hope is. i am i've seen it before on the uh, great because otherwise the whole next segment wouldn't make any sense we're going to talk a bit more about fluorine now and how it's used in dental care So fluorine, while normally as sodium fluoride, but sometimes other compounds, is an ingredient in a lot of toothpastes. This is because it reduced tooth decay by either reducing the demineralization rate or increasing the mineralization rate of enamel on your teeth. There was a lot of evidence that started coming out for this like in the 40s and 50s. um, One review found that that reduced cavities by 35% in baby teeth and 26% in permanent teeth which is quite a lot, and cavities are still a big problem in a lot of countries, even first world countries nowadays. So in the 40s and 50s, a lot of countries, particularly Western, and I think America started it all off, they started to fluorinate their water as well. So adding fluorine to your water um, to help people around the world with their teeth, especially in disadvantaged areas who can often be affected by it worse. And this is supported by the World Health Organization, the World Dental Federation, and CDC called it the top 10 greatest public health achievements of the 20th century. 
Wow. It's so, one yeah. of those things where conspiracy theorists, yes. I've heard. Don't worry, we're getting into that uh, now. <laughs> oh, excellent. Good. So there is a lot of controversy around it. And there are actually some good reasons for the controversy in some cases. So there's not a lot of studies on the actual benefits of chlorine. It's not well studied at all. There are a few that are like, there's some minor changes in children's teeth, but not really. Also, it's in toothpaste, so... So are people conspiracists saying it's been covered up or us? Yeah, <laughs> what, what do they think? Because there's all the studies, or certainly I've not been able to find any evidence of any negative well, effects. It does cause dental fluorosis, oh. which is really, really common. It's I don't know if you've seen people get like white spots on their teeth. Yeah, I've or seen what, that. Yeah. Yep. So that's from having too much fluorine. It can also result in damage to your teeth and bones if you have a lot, but that's unlikely. But the thing is, in natural water in a lot of countries, especially around Europe, they have enough fluorine for what you need anyway. So it's okay. like excessive. And so in Finland and Germany, they stopped fluorinating their water, but the cavities and just dental health generally in their country still got better, despite the to fact show they'd stopped that, so Showing that they didn't really need to fluorinate yeah. the water. Although, so. it, yeah, it does help less advantaged people, but yeah. in modern countries, yeah. it's not really like as big a thing. Because the water's got fluoride ions in it anyway. Yeah. Um, there's also like a lot of ethical debates about it, whether because there are some risks associated with it, people should have the choice whether to like fluor- use fluorine but or there's, not. There's traces of fluoride in drinking, in bottled water yeah, as well. Yeah, you can buy non-fluorinated bottled water. But oh. it'd be very expensive. Where would, you, where would you buy that from? You can't just can you get it from your like local supermarket? No, no, exactly. So. Yeah, Which so like makes it difficult. you have to have fluorine. Yeah. It is an interesting question about choice. Yeah, it was a there was very opposed in America in the forties to sixties during the Red Scare because like vaccinations were opposed, mental health, anything that was like socialist medicine kind of thing that was all yeah. opposed then. Mm. It's um, done politicians coming in and giving us better health yeah (laughs) there's other conspiracy theories like way more out there like it's used for mind control and that's why it's in the water so everyone has to drink it mind control yeah they're mind controlling the population i don't know of course Mm. i'm not sure about that one yeah probably not that one probably not but that's what we would say if we were mind controlled yeah oh Mm. no wow but overall it seems to be a pretty good thing yeah to be honest it's probably unnecessary more than Mm. like in water and even the uh dental fluorosis am i saying dental fluorosis in in the mild form other than aesthetic no it's just an aesthetic concern there's no actual damage to your teeth most of the time good Right, that's about all we've got for fluorine, other than the fact that it's really, really, really reactive. I'm going to talk about it a bit later. You are? Only a little bit. But now we're going to move on to our second element of the the day. We will come back to fluorine, as Joe said, a little bit later on. Yeah, only briefly, but yeah. (laughs) Otherwise, it'd be a bit of a shame. Uh, But our next element is chlorine, which sits right underneath fluorine in the periodic table. So it's another one of the halogens. It's chemical element symbol is cl and its atomic number is 17 because it sits directly below fluorine it's also a halogen so the columns of the periodic table link elements with similar properties to each other so like fluorine chlorine is highly reactive it has the third highest electronegativity so that measure of how much an atom really 
craves those electrons. Chlorine has the third highest electronegativity according to the Pauling scale. Second. Anyone want to guess? Um, Something around that area. I've got no clue. Go on. Uh, it's oxygen. So ah. oxygen is also really reactive, likes those uh, electrons. So very reactive as well. The most common compound of chlorine is sodium chloride or table salt to you and me. So that's sodium and chlorine in an ionic lattice. That's been known about since ancient times. But like fluorine, chlorine exists as a diatomic gas, so Cl2 at room temperature. Carl Wilhelm Scheele was the first person to write a description of chlorine gas as far as we're aware, in 1774. But he didn't realise it was an element on its own. He thought it might be an oxide of some other element, so a compound containing oxygen as well as other molecules. In 1809, chemists suggested that the gas might actually be a pure element, and this was confirmed by Sir Humphrey Davy in 1810. He was a bit of a chemistry legend. He discovered loads of elements, and he also confirmed that chlorine was in fact an element in its own right. It was named from the ancient Greek chloros, meaning pale green, based on its colour. A common use of chlorine is as a disinfectant in swimming pools, which brings us nicely onto science fact or science fiction. Yay. Yay. We're going to play everyone's favourite game now. I really want a jingle for science. We should have a little song. Yeah, maybe for next really? semester we'll yeah. get one organised. Maybe we'll try and do that. I, I would like that very much. If, so Be- gonna... if Beck's listening, <laughs> we need to... <laughs> Yeah, get on it, Beck. Right, so the first one is about swimming pools. And my statement is that red itchy eyes when you're in a swimming pool, we've all had that, right? Yeah. You've been in a swimming pool for a while and you come out and your eyes are all sore and and itchy and a bit red. Right, that's an indication that there's too much chlorine or chloride. It's it's the negative ion again in the pool. Science fact or science fiction? Uh, I think think that's science fact. I've... I could be very wrong here, but um, like I just don't I don't see any other explanation for it. Like if I they'd don't... overshoot it and it makes sort of sense, but then they'd you'd think they'd check it. Yeah. So maybe I could. Well, re- they kind of just dump it in because yeah. I'm thinking I have a pool in Lanzarote, and but we use Ooh, salt, flex. so I can't really flex. like. I yeah, mean, I know. salt is still chlorinated. I know, but like it doesn't it's... make your eyes sting, which is making me think it's nothing to do mm. with chlorine Ooh. at all. Interesting deduction. I'm, yeah, I'm gonna say f- false and not true. Uh, Joe, are you are you sticking with truth? Oh, I might as well. Science yes. fact. Oh, I like it when we disagree because yes. that means someone's definitely wrong. Karis is right. It's Ooh, science fiction. So the red eyes are caused by uh, compounds called chloroamines, and these are formed by the reaction of chloride in the water with impurities such as the urea, which is in we. So, so if actually, people are <laughs> if people are we it doesn't have to be we but if there's impurities in the in the pool they will react with the chloride ions this will form these chloroamines and they cause the red eyes so it's actually a sign that some of the chlorine has reacted and there actually might not be enough rather than there being too much uh, so if you get into a swimming pool and straight away your eyes go red, then get out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. You want about one to three parts per million of chloride in, in water. And in salt water, that's still chloridated because, as we said, table salt is sodium chloride. So the chloride ions are still there. They're provided by the salt. The source for this was the Water Quality and Health Council site. So that's kind of a legit one for once this week. Mm. Not Wikipedia. (laughs) Not Wikipedia. Right, second. The glowing of fluorite, which is a fluorine-containing mineral that I mentioned earlier, so it's uh, 
CaF2 calcium fluoride. Um, and, and that fluorite, that, that compound, that mineral glows under UV light. And that's what gave us the word fluorescence. Now, that, that, is, that is true. Um, but my statement is that the rock actually only glows due to impurities in it. It's nothing to do with the fluorine at all. Science fact or science fiction? Uh, you I'm go first. say fact. Just, I don't know. I'm going to say fact. I feel like fluorine isn't fluorescent. I would... I don't know if I want to go against the grain again. You're allowed to um, agree if you want. Yeah, to. I think I am going to agree as well because uh, if that's where the name came from, I feel like then it would be a fact. I don't know. Yes, it is a fact. So the so calcium fluorite. Uh, yeah, it's just called fluorite. Actually, the, that's the common name of it, or fluorospar. Um, that does glow, but it's due to other small amounts of other elements in there so yttrium europium or organic matter are some of the impurities which can lead to fluorescence the light emitted is normally blue but it could be red purple yellow green or white depending on what the impurities are but i just thought that was quite interesting because like the name fluorescence that's clearly it's that flora yeah. start yeah. and it's not actually anything to do with the fluorine but never mind. This is completely off topic. So is that to do with, you know, the glow sticks that are different colours? Is that is that related to that? Or I don't know. Do we know? Um, are they... I have no idea what glow sticks yeah, so are made there's, from. Yeah. There's, there's different types. There's fluorescence and then there's other similar yeah, might things just... as well. And I get... So fluorescence is if you shine UV light on something okay, and okay, then yeah, it no, emits... Yeah. Um, okay. So it's not the, it's not the snapping ones because that's light. like... That's without Whereas UV they light. just they just that's invisible light glow. So, yeah. Okay. No. But maybe they are. Maybe it works with. Maybe who knows? Visible light. As if well, you know, call just... in. No, I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> I should know that really. But they so there's some kind of chemical yeah, reaction happening. Yeah. Physical. Maybe next time glowing. we'll talk about it. <laughs> who knows? It's definitely there's some kind of reaction that stops it because they don't start normally glowing, right? You crack no, you it, have to, and yeah. that allows the chemicals to mix, and then yeah, yeah, and then that releases the light. So I think that's probably some kind of also that is really extremely reaction. satisfying when you go that only do that crack. And yeah, it's yeah. The best. So I think that's probably not fluorescence. Yeah, okay. but I I wouldn't want to bet on it. I'll try and find out for you. All right, should we have the last question? Yes. So this one's about chlorine again. There are actually two commonly naturally occurring forms of chlorine which are chemically indistinguishable from each other. Science fact or science fiction? I've got no, like, even if I went science fact or science fiction, I've got no, like, explanation for, <laughs> yeah, like... Yeah, mine's going to be a guess. Yeah, a complete guess. So I'm going to say, because it's like that... Is it? Is, are you saying, like, two different isomers? Is that what you're saying? Like, two different... Oh, the word you said is almost, almost the right word. Uh, isotope. Yeah, no, that's it. That's, that's, that's the one. So is that what you mean? Like two different, like that is what I mean. Oh, so I'm you... gonna say that it's true. No, <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with this. I'll go true. I'll go true. I want to say fact as well because I liked his explanation. Yeah, it is true, and you were correct. I in... didn't even know if that was an explanation. I was just like, <laughs> you were correct in the reading. So isomers are different compounds. So yes, they're, they're uh, combinations yeah, got, of atoms up, yeah. that have the same yeah. atoms yeah. in them, uh, whereas isotopes are different forms of the same. Yeah, I was I trying mean, to does, think of uh, the does whole... iso. 
mean same? What does ISO uh, mean? It must mean same. It probably yeah. means same because they're all to do with having the same things. So, yes, there are two isotopes of chlorine. Uh, there's chlorine 35 and chlorine 37. So that's to do with the mass. So how many protons and neutrons it has in its nucleus. So it's not like I a actually f- did know that from yeah. A-level chemistry mm. when you have it's, to do it's like, not like a thalidomide mass spec or whatever. Uh, no, it's it's not like that because that's thalidomide. Where if the two different is that they're two, they're, different, they're two different isomers, yes, isomers, and right. they are they're a specific type of isomer where they're mirror images yeah, of each yeah, other, yeah. which means that they have different effects have, for a start. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, as as we know. Yeah. Um, so this this is not that because this is looking at the individual atom. This is. Uh, they're isotopes so the difference between the two is that one has got two extra neutrons compared to the other neutrons they're neutral subatomic particles they're there in the nucleus they give the atom extra mass but they don't affect its chemistry just its weight so chlorine 35 reacts in exactly the same way to chlorine 37 the only way that you can separate them is using something that looks at the mass of it so okay. for example there's a machine called a mass spectrometer yes, which separates yeah, ions depending on their mass to charge ratio and obviously the 37 one's a bit heavier so you can yeah. you can separate them in that way in in the atmosphere around us it's about 75% chlorine 35 and 25% chlorine 37 uh, there aren't that many. There are lots of elements that have multiple isotopes, but a lot of the time one is much more common than the other. So, for example, most carbon is carbon-12, and then there's a very, very small yeah, amount, yeah. which is carbon-13 with an extra neutron. Same with uh, hydrogen. Okay. You've got uh, like 99% plus is hydrogen just with a proton. Yeah. And then deuterium and tritium, tritium which yeah. are the the isotopes. There's tiny amounts of those, but with chlorine, they're they're both around. I don't really know why, but so they both used in swimming pools and stuff like that. Then, yeah, 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 yeah. You yeah. wouldn't you yeah. wouldn't ordinarily you wouldn't be able separate to, like, separate them. Well, you, you, or you could. But you can, but there's not really no much point, point in yeah. doing it. They've just got extra neutrons. It doesn't do anything. Yeah. Cool. Well, that was science fact or science fiction. I feel like I ended with the least interesting one there. So never mind. Maybe I should have switched my order around. <laughs> but. If all this talk about fluorine and chlorine has left you wanting more, oh, you actually fit oh, it. In. I no. actually said it. Yes, I said it. <laughs> then wow. don't go anywhere because we'll be talking a bit more about chlorine's use as a chemical weapon. Are we? Am I going? Yeah, off you go. Okay, so I'm going to talk about a bit about chlorine mainly, but fluorine as well comes into it. You'll yeah, you'll see why. It's almost like we picked these two elements yeah, deliberately almost, because yeah. there's some overlap. <laughs> Not just because them. they rhymed. <laughs> <laughs> so, has chlorine ever been used as a chemical weapon? Well, yes, it has. Chlorine gas. I'm I'm pre- pretty sure you've all heard probably heard of chlorine gas. Just a little bit about what chemical weapons are for our listeners. Uh, these are chemicals formulated to inflict death or harm onto humans. The term chemical weapon may also apply, apply to any toxic chemical or its precursor that can cause death, injury, temporary incapacitation or sensory irritation for its chemical action. So they can be widely dispersed in gas, liquid and solid forms and may easily affect others than the intended targets. And that's what usually happens if it's like um, in a civilian area, usually a, you know by accident. So nerve gas, tear gas and pepper spray are three modern examples of chemical weapons. So chlorine gas, it has its uses, but it has its history. So it's a combination of bleach uh, with acid produces the chlorine gas, a heavy green-yellow gas with a strong odour. Chlorine gas has also been used as an industrial solvent and has other industrial uses such as the production of bulk materials, 
bleach paper products, plastics, pe- such as PVC and solvents. Yeah, because that's because it's so reactive. So that's how it bleaches yeah, the paper, yeah. basically, and and other things. Yes. So um, it's chlorine gas poisoning is an illness resulting from the effects of exposure to chlorine beyond the threshold limit value. So today, occupational exposures constitute the highest risk of t- toxicity. And common domestic exposures result from the mixing of chlorine bleach with acidic washing agents such as acetic, nitric and phosphoric acid or ammonia. Other exposure risks occur during industrial or transportation accidents, so I'll talk about that in a bit. And wartime, wartime exposure is rare today, but we'll get on to this. So, so what you're saying about occupational exposures and domestic things, that's why it's really important that you don't mix bleaches um, yeah. or like cleaning products together, because if one of them is an acidic chlorine based one and the other one is a, a basic uh, you know something yeah. different then you can actually if you mix them together you might end up releasing chlorine gas into your home which is obviously uh, not yeah. a good idea not ideal so there uh, we go but so, health and safety for you there yeah so the sign of acute chlorine gas poisoning are primarily respiratory and include difficulty breathing and cough so listening to the lungs will generally generally reveal crackles and there'll be sneezing noise irritation uh, nose irritation, nose irritation. Sorry. <laughs> burning sensation uh, and throat irritation. There may also be skin irritation or chemical burns and eye irritation or conjunctivitis. So a person with chlorine gas poisoning may also have nausea, vomiting or a headache. So there's quite a All lot sorts of, of things going on. Symptoms. And chronic exposure to relatively, relatively low levels of chlorine gas may cause pulmonary problems like acute wheezing attacks or, and asthma. Uh, there's currently no antidote for chlorine poisoning. So management is supportive after evacuating people from the site of exposure and flushing, uh, flushing exposed tissues. Uh, for lung damage caused by inhalation, oxygen and bronchi- uh, oxygen bronchodilators may be administered. Yeah, so basically all you can do is try and flush and dilute yeah. the chlorine out with water. Yes. So. Not much we can do but other than just see it out. <laughs> and just... So reactive. Uh, so like I said before, warfare, it's, it's used rare now but in not really used in warfare but so in 1915 the first use of chlorine as a weapon of war occurred at the second battle of ypres ypres i don't know how to pronounce you pronounce it's a, i, no I thought it was eep eep yeah ypres sure. ypres that's yeah. it yeah yes so uh and in that was world war one uh obviously for some for the historians out there so in 2007 chlorine was also used by uh, in the iraq war as well uh and as recently of it was 2014 it was used in syria and also like quite recently in the assad regime uh, in september of 2019 they used chlorine as a well they've been accused of using chlorine as a chemical weapon in may uh, marking the first confirmed violation of the ban on chemical weapons since donald trump authorized airstrikes in 2018 over syria's use of poison gas so it's still going on today, but it really shouldn't be. So that was what I was going to say. There was a ban on chemical weapons, which would obviously include chlorine gas, but that was that was a relatively recent ban. But this, I mean, it's it's allegations, but I think they're not they're not unfounded. Yeah. I think they're yeah. I think there's quite there a lot of quite a lot of evidence, evidence. <laughs> um, that that chemical weapons are still being used, um, which is obviously not not great no because as you say a big problem with them especially if you're using gases then they disperse it's very hard to control it's not yet. it's not go. controlled water and actually yeah. this, exactly. this happened in the trenches there were instances where they would release poison gas and then the wind would change and they'd end up blowing it back on themselves onto themselves yeah but yeah because it's very hard to control so and it's also horrible as well and i mean it, it, it leaves you with lifelong 
you know, if you survive from it, it's arguably worse because it leaves you with like these lifelong issues. Some, if it's really bad, you know, you've got these lifelong problems from yeah. the exposure to gas. Absolutely. So back to briefly on World War One. So as described by the socials, uh, soldiers, it had the dis- distinctive smell of a mixture of pepper and pineapple. So Ooh. it also tasted metallic and stung the back of the throat and chest. The chlorine reacts with the mortar and the mucosa of the lungs to form hydrochloric acid, which is destructive to living tissue and potentially lethal. Yeah, hydrochloric acid is a really, it's a strong acid. I used it quite a lot in labs. It was, yeah, but obviously that... (laughs) We're not meant to drink it or anything (laughs) like that. No, definitely not. And after its first use, both sides in the conflict, because they both used chlorine as a chemical weapon, but it was soon replaced by the more deadly phosgene in mustard gas. Well, everyone said the mustard gas because that's Mm. like the typical one you think of uh, in the iraq war chlorine gas was also used packing truck bombs with mortar shells and chlorine tanks the attacks killed two people from the explosives and sickened more than 350 so you know it like i said like it disperses it affects a lot of people uh, even if it's just not they're not killing them but you know it affects more people than than you realize so most of the deaths were caused by the force of the explosions rather than the effects of chlorine but in late 2014 it was reported that Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant had used chlorine gas in the town of... I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this right, but in the town of Dulia. Dulia or something like in that. A in a town in Iraq. Yes, a town in Iraq. Laboratory analysis of clothing and soil samples confirmed the use of the chlorine against Kurdish Peshmerga forces in a vehicle-borne improvised explosive device attack. So elsewhere as well there's been incidents so there's been like mass chlorine gas poisonings in, in industrial accidents as well in america so in 2005 there was nine people died um, from an estimated 11,500 us gallons that were spilled uh, in 2004 texas a freight train accident released 90,000 pounds of chlorine gas 44 people were injured and three were three died oh my goodness. so yeah it's quite bad but be uh, careful with your freight trains if they're yeah. carrying but now slowly segueing on to last bit. So as 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 I was saying, fluorine as well is sort of comes into this. So has fluorine ever been used as a chemical weapon? Well, the short answer is no, and it probably won't be because fluorine is barely denser than air. So with a little wind, wind it will disperse quite quickly uh, while chlorine hugs the ground more effectively. And second and more important, fluorine is simply too hot to handle. It attacks nearly everything in sight and it couldn't be stocked safely. Like it wouldn't be able to store it basically mm. so most of people's attitudes towards chemical warfare as well and now mostly negative so it's not like we're doing any research to find the next big chemical weapon or anything like that and lastly there is the fact that chlor- yeah chlorine is a permanent gas so its critical temperature is way below room temperature while chlorine can easily be compressed into a liquid so if you fill an artillery uh, artillery artillery shell with liquid chlorine you may put a lot of stuff in it while the, with chlorine fluorine you may just load a few grams of gas yeah so chlorine it's much easier to make it into a liquid yes. basically you don't need to cool slash squash it as much so yes. you can you can pack it and that's basically where where i was finishing so as others as others mentioned like the rapid dissipation so even more than chlorine just makes it impractical for that use and other than the phys- uh, psychological effect, it would be less effective than current conventional weapons. And that's the end of that. What was that? Not there, <laughs> I don't know. I just got a bit excited. No. Right, we're going to do another game now. So we're going to go back and do Secret Scientist, which Yay. I feel like we haven't done for a couple of weeks. Oh, I think you did it when we I was here. We did it. Here. Yeah, we yeah. did it when you were here. So. Yeah. 
cool right so you've got three for today and there's there's a link again with them this time um so the link is star wars now have have you all seen i have both yeah. seen star wars? i have seen two star wars films what? i'm currently watching them all so like okay. i'm in the middle what? i'm not a huge star wars fan but i have watched them all once yes I'm what, have you seen the new sure. ones i've seen one of the new I've ones i've seen the first like new one. yeah last year yeah. i just yeah. broke my dreams so. okay so anyway, so these these are your uh, three people, and I want to know which one of them is a secret scientist. So the first is Natalie Portman. Um, so she was uh, Queen Padme. Yes. In it. Yeah. Okay. She was also Anakin's, been Anakin's in... lover. So that's Luke's mum. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, spoilers, well, but oh, sorry. <laughs> well, you know, it's been quite a while year since Star Wars She's also been in. Uh, Thor and Black Swan. She's playing female Thor, stuff. actually. She's playing. She's going to be playing female. Oh, is Thor. she? Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, so that's number one, Natalie Portman. Number two is Carrie Fisher, who's obviously Princess Leia. And number three is Daisy Ridley, who plays Rey, who's the protagonist yes, in in the new the trilogy. New, in the new trilogy. So they're they're your three options. So which one's a secret? So scientist? which one? So one out of the three is a secret scientist. Ooh, I... and i and they actually they have a I... they have published a study well not just them but they their name has been listed on a, paper. On, a, on a paper that has been actually published wow. okay. i actually know this one so i'm gonna let you uh, first. Oh. <laughs> so it's carrie, carrie fisher carrie fisher natalie portman or daisy ridley <sighs> i don't think it's carrie fisher just because she came from a family who they were in the hollywood business so i don't that's good knowledge there. i don't think yeah i don't think that she's the scientists, so and that that eliminates them down to da- Daisy and Daisy Natalie and Natalie Portman. Uh, I'm gonna go with, and I think Natalie Portman was a child actor, if I'm correct. So she would, would she, she was have, 19 in the first one she started. No, in, but she was also in Leon, which is like yeah, she, she was, played like a kid in that. So yeah. did she even have time to get a degree in there? So I'm gonna go with Daisy Ridley. So that was excellent logic, but were you correct? I don't know. Karis? I know what it is. Go on then. Okay, it's Natalie Portman. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you're absolutely right. She She was was a a child actress, and actually it was quite a struggle for her doing both of them. She actually did psychology at Harvard. Oh, okay. But her studies, like, really are, like, it's a good study, right? About. Yeah, so uh, her study was, uh, it was in 2002. So this was just during her undergrad as well, but she contributed to a study on memory. She would have still been filming Star Wars as well at the time. Frontal lobe activation during object permanence data from near infrared spectroscopy so i mean that's got something for everyone yeah in there. you've got elements of kind of physics and chemistry physical chemistry in there with spectroscopy you've got frontal lobe activation that's quite biological neuro it's yeah. obviously a memory study so it's psychological yes yes she's named on the paper as natalie hirschlag so that was her Name, name that she was going by at the moment. Not her stage name. So Portman is her grandma's maiden name, and she took that as her stage stage name yeah. after she got her first part in a feature film in 1994. But was that what you were talking, I think so. Yeah. But what you were talking about before about her having time to do both of them. There's a really great quote um, from okay. her that I really like yeah. because, as as you say, she'd been in some films and then she went off to get her degree from Harvard and then ended up coming back and doing films, but. When she was asked about this tension, she said, I don't care if college ruins my career. I'd rather be smart than a movie star. Ooh. <laughs> no, that, I like that. But I obviously, do like that. she's done both. So. Yeah, like, that's very impressive. Yeah, I did not her. know that she had done all that. Yes. And uh, Harvard so as well. Harvard. Harvard it's not, yeah. 
Carrie Fisher didn't didn't go to university. You're absolutely right. She came from an acting family. Yeah. And Daisy Ridley started a social sciences degree with the Open University in 2016, but I couldn't find any evidence of whether she, she finished it that, yet. She, she might still be doing after it. doing Star Wars then. Yeah. Because Star Wars the first one came out in 2014. So. Yeah. Oh. We're still in high school, Natalie Portman, when she did the first Star Wars film she was in. That's oh, how yeah, I knew, because I googled it after I watched Star Wars, how old she oh, was. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> how, how old was Anakin in the first one? He was like, because I remember he was like a, like a little kid. Was I was kid, like, they were yeah. all young, weren't they? Yeah. That, I, I quite like that one. And you had really good logic there, Joe. Well, You knew quite a lot about them, well, so I'm I've sorry read, that you still yeah, got it wrong. I've actually read Carrie Fisher, well, I've read, like, she had, like, a little biography, like, only, like, only a small one, like, 200 pages or something so that's where i got like the whole acting background and stuff from that mm-hmm. and Great. then i did not realize that natalie portman had done all that because that's impressive i know it's yeah. very impressive very impressive lady i haven't exactly starred in any movies <laughs> as of yet <laughs> no and i've also not co-authored any uh, yeah, papers either yeah, I got... anyway we're just about coming up to time so that's all we've got time for today but i hope you've enjoyed learning a little bit about chlorine and fluorine as well as some star wars actresses and some other things we've run out of time now so all that's left to say is make sure you like us on facebook follow us on twitter if you haven't we've got a twitter now we're all over the internets now so yeah. do do all that or email us if you can email us ancient. at elementary underscore fuse fm at outlook.com and yeah get in touch so next week we are talking about uranium so I think that's going to be a really exciting one. It'll be radioactive. Yes. Uh, anyway, we have to go now. That'll have do. a lovely week and we'll see you next Friday. Bye.